This is Solve It for Kids. Hello, my amazing and curious friends. My name is Jennifer, the Dean of All Things STEM and STEAM, and this is Solve It for Kids. The podcast that gives kids and families a peek inside the real world of scientists, engineers, and experts as they solve problems in their jobs using creativity, cooperation, and critical thinking. And now please welcome to the show my podcast partner, Galactic Space Geek, Jeff Ganya. Hello, Jennifer, and hello, listeners. Boy, do we have a powerful episode for you today. I can't wait to get into it. I know, this is going to have lots of power. So what problem are we solving today? How do you get energy from the wind? How can you get energy from the wind? Ooh, great question. Who is our guest today, Jeff? And we have just the right guy to tell us about that. Today, our guest is Neil Milani. He is an application engineer for Bachman Electronic. Welcome to the show, Neil. Thank you. Nice to be with you guys. Well, we are excited to have you because we're going to talk about wind engineering and the power of wind, which I think is really cool because I don't think a lot of people know a lot about this. I might not. But I'd like to start with my first question. Have you always wanted to be an engineer and study wind and power? Well, let's see. No, no, I haven't always wanted to be an engineer. <laughs> no. I, I was always interested in science. I was trying to figure out what, okay. how things worked. Taking watches apart, taking things apart, ah. managing to put them back together again eventually. Yeah. So I wasn't a really good student in high school, but went into college and hunted around for majors. And eventually I settled on engineering and physics. Wow. And then like most engineers, you kind of start off on one area and then you get a perspective of all these other things that are surrounding you that you didn't know about. So I went from that to automotive, to telecom, eventually into wind. So wind was when I got to the point where I really wanted to do something that was, that had a bit more meaning. Anybody can make this or make that. And I wanted to be working on renewable energy. So I went back to school. I'm a master's in mechanical engineering and worked in, when I was at school, solar, uh, we're putting on uh, residential solar and small scale wind, and then got hired on to work on wind turbines. So it was a long route, but eventually ended up in wind. And and that's kind of been my passion ever since. That's awesome. Okay. So I love how you just boiled down sort of a long story into the (laughs) the sound bites. That was great. You ended up on wind and that became your passion. Was there a specific professor that you worked with or a project that you worked on somewhere along the way that exposed you to wind engineering and wind technology? I went to North Carolina State University to get my Mm -hmm. master's. And there isn't a wind turbine engineering degree or anything like that. Okay. <laughs> there really isn't any renewables degree. You just major in a particular area and you can apply it to renewables, let's say. Right. Okay. And at the NC State, they had what was called the solar house at the time that was uh, part of the extension office providing assistance to anybody in the state. And if you had a question about wind or solar, you could contact us and we would help you. 
And we got to install small scale wind and and solar and we would put up anemometers, those little poles that read the wind energy for a while, put them on people's farms. And then after a year, we could tell them if a wind turbine was a good idea or not. Oh, I like that. Never knew that happened. Yeah. So, so we we did work at Kitty Hawk in North Carolina, where they uh, where the Wright brothers were. We right. put a solar installation there, and just south of there, we put a really small wind turbine. And since it's on the coast, we had it so that it would you could put it up and down when a hurricane came. <laughs> Very <Okay>. smart. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to put it up more. We just wanted to put it up once, not three or four times. So when, yeah. whenever a hurricane would come in, they would they would kind of crank it down, and the hurricane would pass, and they put it back up again. Now, see, that's really clever, of course, since everybody knows that listens to this, that I live in Florida. So that's important. But North Carolina, you guys get hit up there a lot, too. So, yes, so yeah. it's, I believe it's still running. That's how I got started doing that kind of stuff as a research assistant at North Carolina State. I think that's really fun. OK, so can you tell us about wind turbines and, and wind energy? How does it work? OK, so when you drive by a wind turbine, if you've ever seen one, there's a giant tower. Right. On top of the tower is what's called an nacelle. It's a box. And that's got transmission and all kind of other equipment up there. And in front of that box is a rotor, a um, propeller that catches the wind. Okay. So the wind okay. turbine has to orient itself in whatever direction the wind's coming from. So it kind of swivels around and points to the wind. Oh. When the wind gets to a certain speed, it says, okay, I can produce power and starts generating electricity and controls its speed. And doesn't go too fast or doesn't go too slow. So they can produce energy along with all the other wind turbines, let's say, at that farm. And operates as just kind of as needed. So it's autonomously hunting for the wind all day and all night long, 365. And will produce power whenever it can. So there's there's situations where there's no wind and it just sits there. There's situations when there's just enough wind. But like in Texas, for example, sometimes there's too much. They have enough wind turbines oh. that they will curtail them. They'll shut them down. So you'll drive by a wind farm and you'll see a bunch of turbines stopped. And you'll ask yeah. what's going on. And they said, oh, well, we don't need all that energy right now. We've got too much. So we'll park <laughs> them for now. Okay. So they're trying to figure out how to, here's this extra energy going right. during the farm. We can't use it right now, but maybe we can figure out some other way to use it. Okay. Battery storage, for example, they're, they're yeah. thinking of battery storage. Right. That's what I would think, some type of storage. But I know that's not as easy as it sounds necessarily. It's slowly becoming a viable option. They're making the batteries bigger and they're putting them in for exactly that situation. They were even talking about crypto mining. Here's an industry that requires a lot of energy. Well, here's all those wind turbines generating energy. They're not doing anything. How about we mine crypto with it? So there's a ton of little ideas behind wow. the scenes. What do you do with a wind turbine's energy when you can't use it? That's a great question. And that sure is. Yeah. So if you see crypto mining with a little wind turbine next to it, that might be the next idea that we come up with. Okay. Very cool. We're already jumping into the future. One of the things you just said actually answered one of my questions already, which was, but it kind of leads me to a different one in that the wind turbines don't always face in the same direction. They're seeking the wind. My question now is, does it turn automatically or is it using, like, does the wind turn it in the direction of where it's coming from? Or does the power of the turbine actually turn it to where it needs to go? 
So the wind turbine has on it a device for measuring the wind speed and the wind direction. Okay. And the older wind turbines had a, one of these little veins that would wag back and forth. Anything sure. that's in the wind just kind of wags. Now, think of yourself as a, a blind fighter and someone's punching you all the time on the left-hand side. So, so a wind turbine is blind. It has no idea where the wind's really right, coming from. Right, right. It just knows that this vein up there is wagging left and right. If it wags a lot to the left side, if you're getting punched on your left cheek, then you know the person's to the left and you turn to the left. And if oh. it's wagging more on the right side, you're getting punched on the right, you turn to the right. So a blind sense. prize fighter is the analogy I come up with for a vein. And it depends on how many times it wags left or wags right as to how it needs to turn left or right. I love that analogy. That that makes so so much sense. Okay, so I want to go back to you get all this energy. Is it only used for the farm that has the turbines installed there or does it go can it be spread throughout the city and the can, you know nearby houses? How does that work? It depends on your agreement with the local energy provider. Oh. So let's say Duke Energy is the service provider in your area. So Duke Energy says, okay, I need to, I have a, a wind farm here and it has 10 turbines. All that energy that is produced, it's exported normally to the grid. So Duke can use that and I need 10 megawatts and I got 10 megawatts here from this wind farm and I can use it. Other situations where if you have a small business and that business has a wind turbine providing just the energy for that business, they say, well, you really can't export this. You can use it locally. Here's okay. all this wind. It can be used to power your okay. plant, but I don't want any of this energy going out to the grid. So it's just an agreement that you have with your energy provider to either export all that wind, which is normally the case, mm -hmm. or that wind can only, or that energy can only be used on site for the, the on site purposes. Hmm. Most giant wind farms, most wind farms of a reasonable size, export all of their energy through an agreement they have with the, the grid provider. Well, and so they get paid for it then, I assume, yes? Yes. And even in the case where those wind turbines in Texas might sit idle, there's all this extra wind, they don't, they don't need it. The power purchase agreement they have, the PPA that they have with the wind turbine company says, I will pay you even if you're not producing energy because oh. I, I told you to shut down. You have all this okay. energy and you're capable of producing it. Right. So it depends on the agreement that you have with the grid provider but most of them will get paid even though that they're not producing energy because they were told not to produce energy. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. So approximately how much energy can, say, a single wind turbine? The earlier wind turbines were pretty small. Like what a kilowatt is 1,000 watts. Yes. So that's your, right. your little space here in your house. So okay. they would have... Um, 10, 20, 70, 100 kilowatts, let's say, these old wind turbines that were out in California way back when. After that came like one megawatt, and a megawatt is, let's say, 650 houses. Oh, there's okay. Kind of, there's kind of a baseline, 650 houses per megawatt, 6,500 houses per 10, you know, you scale it up. Right. So an average wind turbine might be, the older wind turbines were one and a half, let's say, two megawatts. What they're finding is that if you're going to put in a wind turbine, let's, let's put in as big a one as we can. We're already uh, here. We're right. already doing all this stuff. Yeah. So why build 100 little houses when you can build, let's say, 10 big houses? So now the world's largest wind turbine is an offshore turbine that is 12 megawatts. This is the one that will go offshore on the East Coast. 
or Vineyard Wind. That's the big offshore wind farm that's coming up, commissioning like 2024, I think. So okay. those, the blades on that are 720 feet, tip to tip. Holy wow. cow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So oh. we talk in either feet or meters. Usually, you know, so 300 feet is 100, let's say 100 meters. So 720 feet for the blades, 850 feet for the tower. Wow. Um, so th- they get pretty massive. They can go from a couple megawatts to 12, all kind of ranges in between. So where's the energy from that wind farm supposed to go? So most wind farms are out in rural areas, let's say, or areas not heavily populated. Okay. In that particular case, that's the Northeast off the coast of Nantucket. So that will go serve, let's say, the Northeast Boston area. Wow. Here's a bunch of wind turbines. All of them are connected through a grid interconnect, you know, a big electrical cord, let's say. And that gets wired on, on shore. And then that's now a power plant. So all the power that might come in from this wind farm goes into the greater Boston area to be distributed as necessary, I guess. Wow. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So how many wind turbines are there roughly in America right now? Oh, good question. Crazy question. This might be a Google question. I don't know. (laughs) That could be. That's probably a really good Google question because I know about 5% of U.S. energy is produced by wind. Okay. Uh, so, not- so I don't know how that distributes from all these little ones, all these medium-sized ones, and all the big ones. But let's say, for example, in Texas, you'll have wind farms that are one, 200 turbines each, multiple wow. farms. So okay. I mean, when you fly into Dallas or something mm-hmm. like that, especially at night, all the wind turbines have these red beacons flashing on top so the, okay. the planes don't run into them. <laughs> yeah. So when you fly in, you see this giant mat of red beacons flashing that's miles and miles as far as the eye can right. see. Wow. So hundreds and hundreds in Texas. Texas probably has the most wind turbines out of any area in the country. And then distributed through the Midwest, through the West, not yeah. so much in the Southeast, no. not as much in the Northeast. But wherever the wind resource is, so there's not as much wind in the southeast, so that's why they're not there. Sure, here out west, we definitely have bigger, wide open spaces for that wind to get going. Right, right. exactly. Right. So, can you talk to us? I mean, the benefits of wind power, of course, is that it's renewable. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that kind of offsets, you know, a sure. lot of the negativity of like climate change and using coal and all that kind of stuff? Oh, sure, sure. So. The beauty of a wind turbine is that once you put it in, you don't pay anything for the fuel. So Ah. what's going on now with the Ukraine and Europe trying to get gas is that, you know, when the gas is gone, everyone freaks out. You know, there's a commodity, (laughs) it's supply and demand, and the costs are associated with it. So with a wind turbine and with solar and other ones, that there's no cost. Once you put it in, there's no fuel cost. That's it. You just run it. Wind turbines tend to be in more rural areas, and those areas tend to be difficult for people to find jobs. So if you live out in West Texas, you had a hard time finding good paying jobs. Well, the wind turbines come to your town and you can work on the wind turbines. Um, The wind turbines pay taxes and those taxes go to local communities. And every farmer that has a wind turbine on his land or landowner gets a royalty. So no other industry does that. No person with a coal power plant 
and their backyard gets paid. Um, so in Texas, there's large landowners and they tend to find these spots that have a lot of wind and say, you know, I'd like to put a hundred wind turbines on your farm. And the farmer says, okay, great. I've got cows or cattle and whatnot. The, the farm stays intact. They, oh. they build the wind turbines and the, and the guy's like, well, look, this is my farm. I have to get to my cattle. You do okay. your wind turbines and stuff, but I still need to get to my cattle and I have my gates and everything else. So don't leave the gates sure. open because the cows <laughs> run away. Yes. So no, I'm serious. There's a lot I, of issues yes. with the cow. You know, you have to pay attention to what the landowner wants. So every yes. landowner gets, and it's an agreement with the utility, a certain amount of money every month for each of those wind turbines for a particular period of time, 10, 20 years, let's say. Wow. So farmers love them. Here's my land. I get to keep using it. And I've got a bunch of wind turbines and I make a bunch of money. Okay. Yes. Um, Wait, and you pay also probably nothing for your own energy too, right? Well, I mean, you're still paying your electric bill. Oh, okay. Because it goes into the grid. Okay. Right. So when the, the energy goes into the grid, it doesn't get allocated. Like here's Here's oh. your wind energy. <laughs> That's energy. my as my energy. I want it back. Thank you right. very much. Exactly. Right. So it just it goes out there and then you still get your electric bill as you would, but you probably got maybe 500 bucks a month for every one of those wind turbines on your property. So you say, That's okay with me. Yes. Okay. 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 So I actually, while you were just answering that one, I slipped into Google, asked that question, and it turns out there are currently more than 70,000 wind turbines in America. Wow. So that makes me wonder, you just mentioned wind is powering about 5% of America right now. What is the potential for wind moving Mm. forward? Well, I mean, they've got a a bunch of different numbers and I'm a fan of the all of the above solution. So (laughs) (laughs) I would rather have nothing than a wind turbine in my backyard, even though I work on them. But I'd rather see a wind turbine than something else, let's say. So You don't want to put wind turbines everywhere. You don't want to put solar panels or anything else everywhere. But in areas where there's enough resource, the Midwest and the West, there's plenty of unused land that could go and generate wind energy if necessary. Currently, there's kind of a limitation with the grid. Here's my wind turbines out in West Texas. They had to build the grid out to West Texas so all that energy could get routed in. So the, the same for Wyoming. So, for example, Wyoming didn't have a lot of interconnect capabilities. So there right. was, even though Wyoming is very windy, there was a delay in, in wind turbine installations in Wyoming because there was no grid there. So I there's see. as you build out the grid, then you can put wind turbines in many more locations. And then with okay. offshore, offshore has a lot of promise because with onshore wind, you have landowners, you have trees, you have different things like that. Whereas offshore, it's terrainless it's very featureless so when the wind blows it's very unimpeded and it's very constant so offshore is a much more reliable and wind resource and it's pretty darn big so you can put (laughs) offshore turbines just about anywhere on the continental shelf let's say so this is where the economics are starting to get favorable toward larger wind turbines and making it viable for offshore where it wasn't viable before wasn't cost effective. Okay. Um, it was more cost effective in Europe because they pay a higher amount for their electricity. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. It's becoming more viable now in the US. Yeah. That's the thing I've learned about renewables when I've done some of the research for my books and explain having this conversation with kids, especially, it 
talking about the finances, right? Mm -hmm. Like everything comes down to money and it's great to support renewables, but it's difficult for some people to do so if it costs that much more. Exactly. To support it. Right. So when I lived in Raleigh, I put some solar panels on my garage just to see what would happen. Right. And at, at the time it was $4 per watt. So it was 100 watt panel was $400. That same 100 watt panel is probably $40. So oh, it wasn't, okay. it wasn't even close to being cost effective for me to do it, but I wanted to do it just to see what would happen. But <laughs> you know, you can't do that. You can't put a hundred watt panel on your house that lights one light bulb and it costs you $400. <laughs> that's the worst investment ever. Uh, yeah, it's probably not the best unless you're doing it for science and engineering to I, learn, but yes. still that's an investment. Right. That was just an exercise and just let's see what happens. <laughs> okay. So I want to broaden this just a little bit. I take a lot of road trips. I see a lot of wind turbines, mm-hmm. obviously driving around the country, but bringing this right back to our houses. And we mentioned this a little bit just before we got on air of, you know, I am not an energy guy. I'm not an engineer and I don't work on wind turbines. I have a light switch on my wall. Where is that power coming from? Is it coming directly from a wind turbine? If there's one near me coming directly to my house? No. So what happens is think of the grid like a giant river, like the Mississippi River. Okay. The Mississippi River is comprised of a bunch of smaller tributaries. Sure. So, so you are, let's say the Mississippi River, as far as electricity, is what you're tapping into. So okay. uh, here's all okay. this energy coming into the grid, and here's some going to your house, and there's some going to Jen's house. So all that energy comes from a bunch of different places. You have your baseline energy, which are your nuke plants. They run 24-7, full blast. Yep. Okay. They, they tend not to stop ever unless there's a real serious event. Then you have coal plants that may run. Uh, nuclear and coal plants, they don't like to be throttled up and down. They just run right. full gotcha. blast. So there's your full power energy generation. And then there's your intermittent ones. Okay. Gas, let's say, peaker plants that only operate when there's peak usage or peak need. And then wind turbine and solar come in as the intermittent source. If you're there, great. If not, well, we understand. So they know that they're not going to get solar at night. Right. They know they're not going to get wind at certain times of the year. So those are supplemental and they they kind of know that. So the grid operators know they do a lot of statistics. So, for example, in Texas, when they had that real big outage a couple of years ago, they were only predicting to get 4% of their energy from wind. That's a a low point in the season for them. So if wind wasn't running, then there's it's only 4% that they lost maybe right. 5%. Right. So out of the 85 gigawatts, they only lost a, you know, a handful because they knew in February, we're not going to get a lot of wind. We need to have nuclear and gas and coal. Right. So all those electrons that you're getting are from a compilation of different sources. Okay. That okay. makes sense. So, you, so in other words, you can't just say, that's where my power comes from necessarily. Right. When I was in Chicago, I paid an extra $4 per month to supplement wind energy generation, but I wasn't getting the energy from that wind turbine. It wasn't coming to my house. I was just paying so that they could supplement and give somebody some extra incentive to produce it because it was expensive at that time. So no, I I wasn't getting wind turbine electrons any more than I was any nuclear electron. 
but that's still good that you were supporting it. So now I'm curious. So if kids want to learn about wind energy and maybe want to do what you're doing, I know you said there's no straight path, but what would you recommend that they do? Oh, well, there's a lot of neat little science projects they can do. There's little kits. You can get a little wind turbine, a little lay little propeller. It's made out of wood and it's connected to a motor. So wind turbine energy operates on a pretty simple principle. If you took a battery and it connected to a motor, that motor would spin. If you spin the motor, it does the reverse. It generates electricity. So it can either be powered or, or generate power. So by spinning a motor, you generate electricity. So here's a motor, here's a propeller on the front. You're driving home with your parents and you stick it out the window and it's, <laughs> it's lighting a light bulb or something. So there's a lot of little, That's neat cool. little kits to experiment. Okay. Solar, wind or whatever, but you can build. There's a, a neat movie I think I saw on Netflix where a man in the village in Africa, they needed electricity to pump water. So yep. the original, okay. the original wind turbines for the Dutch were generated, were basically pumping water. So, right. and then the windmills out west, the old windmills that were 30, 40 feet tall, those were pumping water. So they were just water pumping. So very cool. Th- this man in yes. Africa decided that, you know, the, I think the pump went dry or something happened. He built a wind turbine out of a bicycle parts and I can't remember where he got the blades and an alternator from a car and he made wow. it. So that wow. they can pump water out of the ground. That's um, terrific. Yeah. That's, and, I, and I bet, obviously, we don't have enough time to talk about all of them. I bet there's a whole lot of projects like that, that once you start looking for them online, you can probably pinball and just go down the rabbit hole of all sorts of projects like that. Sure. Yeah. I would like to ask you, what do you see for the future? Maybe not an idyllic world of, you know, everything's powered by wind and solar. But what do you see coming in the next, say, 20 years for will there be more wind generation? I would think so, just because, as Jen mentioned, you know, a lot of it comes down to economics. Mm-hmm. And there's right. um, there's a concept called levelized cost of energy, LCOE. And all that okay. means is that when you make something, it, you have to count everything from start to finish, from cradle to grave. So when you, yep. you build right. a coal plant. How much did it cost to make the coal plant? How much is this? How much is this? How much is this? How much does it cost to decommission the coal plant? So the levelized cost of energy is an apples to apples comparison between technologies. The levelized cost of energy for wind and solar, there's a graph where wind and solar are decreasing, becoming less cost, the fact that cost costly, and nuclear and coal and everything else is going up. So those two cross is the magic number where they're all the same. And now wind and solar are ever decreasing and coal and gas and nuclear are going up. So the LCOE, the levelized cost of energy for wind and solar are getting cheaper by the year. So when utilities want to put in generation, what's the cheapest, most effective way to do? Yeah. So so you can't, and you can't put it everywhere. There's not wind resource everywhere. So they're finding more resources in terms of location. And then offshore is really a big promise now because here's this offshore wind resource that's essentially infinite well not infinite but it's it's very substantial sure. <laughs> yes so put in a couple offshore wind farms and you've got even more so with commodities becoming more expensive with environmental restrictions becoming more rigorous i think you're going to start seeing 
more interest in renewables just because from a cost standpoint alone. That makes a whole lot of sense. That does. And it's actually good to hear, too, that that we're going to have more renewables out there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we've reached that time in our show where we ask our guests to give us a challenge. I'm curious what your challenge will be, Neil. Let's see. I think one thing that would be interesting for the guests is that when you flip on your light switch and it turns on, hopefully, (laughs) do you know where that electricity is coming from? We talked about that a little bit. But in your state, where does it come from? Does it come from nuclear? Does it come from gas? Does it come from coal? I mean, so you can kind of do a quick Google search and get an idea. And for example, in South Carolina, there's a lot of nuclear here. So nukes comes in at 53%, I think it is. And I'd be curious to find out what your users find in their, their respective states. It's very different across the country. So it's kind of a, a, a gamut, especially if you, you know, Alaska, Hawaii, you'd be pretty interested <laughs> to see what they have to come up with. Right. Oh, oh yeah. No, I, th- right. I like that question. I think that's great. And, you know, it makes me curious because here where I live, they actually closed the power plant that we used to use. Mm-hmm. And so I'm for the, I mean, for the last two years, I've been wondering where, I mean, we still turn on our lights. Where is the energy now coming from? And also, I'm kind of like, why did they close the plant? Because they didn't need it? Or, right? I mean, there's all of those questions. Yes. Oh, sure. To give you a little bit more comfort, there's organizations. They're called ISOs, IS, Independent Service Operators. And mm-hmm. it's basically managed by the federal government. So there's the Northeast and there's the Southeast and there's right. California. And they... Every year they sit down and say, how much generation do we have and how much consumption do we have? They contact all the the grid operators bid into the system to see, you know, I have a nuke plant and I get bonus points for a nuke plant because it runs 24-7. Here's how much I want to get paid for that. And they have this agreement and this auction, basically. And then they figured out, okay, here's how much we have and here's how much we need. And they line them up and then they kind of haggle with if we have too much generation, then you gotcha. might not get paid as much. But there's somebody watching to make sure that one, everything's reliable, and two, that there's enough yes. generation to go around. Yeah. I mean, we haven't had a problem with our lights. I just thought it's right. very interesting. Right. It might be because someone's paying attention to all that stuff. <laughs> but that means that I'm going to do the challenge because I'm very curious to find out where my power is coming from these days. And sure. since I live in a whole different state, completely away from Gen State, I'm going to do the same thing. Right. All righty. Yeah. But this has been great. I have learned so much about wind energy. So this has been wonderful. Thanks so much for being on Solve for Kids, Neil. My pleasure. It was good to be here and and I enjoyed it myself. Thank you. I bet a lot of our listeners are just like me in that we didn't have that much information about pulling power and energy from the wind. That was fascinating, and I really didn't want that talk to end. I know. I mean, I grew up in the Midwest, so of course I understand windmills and all this kind of stuff, but I've seen the giant ones. Yes. And I've always wondered how they work and how the energy gets from there and everything. So this was so much fun. And I hope everybody does that challenge. I want to find out exactly what kind of energy my house uses. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. These are some of my favorite challenges that touch me right at home where I am. So Zoe and I can look up where our house's power comes from and what type of power that we are getting. I love that because why are you going to look that up other than as a challenge (laughs) from a Solve It For Kids episode? 
Well, that's probably true. That's probably true. Anyway, if any of you look it up and you want to share that information with us, or if you just want to ask us questions or make a comment on one of the podcasts, be sure to tag us on our social media. We are at KidSolve at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget to check out our website page, solveitforkids.com, for this episode because we'll have information about wind power and also books for kids that you can read to learn more. That's right. And until next episode, don't forget, just because power is and energy are coming from the wind, that doesn't mean you don't need to conserve. When you leave a room, turn that light switch off. Until next time, you'll hear Jen and Jeff on Solve, Solve It, it for, for Kids. kids.